This episode may include topics, references, or discussions around sexual assault, domestic violence, stalking, physical violence, or subject matters that may be disturbing to some of our listeners. We do acknowledge that this content may be difficult. We also encourage you to care for your safety and well-being. Podcast Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace, a podcast that highlights the role of women peacebuilders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to their communities. Eavesdrop into their conversations and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States. Their dreams and their hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, and Dina Zaman, a Malaysian journalist and co-founder of Iman Research. This is She Talks Peace. Hello, everyone. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone, this is Dina Zaman of Iman Research Malaysia, and she talks peace. I'm really, really excited today because we've got two Malaysians on board our podcast today. But first, uh, we have to introduce Amina, the main host of She Talks Peace. Amina, are you there? Hi, Dina. Salam to everybody. This is Amina Rasul from the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. Greeting everyone listening to us. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. And I hope you've had a pleasant day so far. Oh, Amina, um, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, before we begin our podcast, I, you know, I think I mentioned to you very briefly about how the Malaysian government is creating all these travel bubbles. So hopefully, we can get, you know, to Indonesia or Manila, or you can come over to our country then. It'll be good to have a face-to-face chat instead of all these Zooms and WhatsApps. Well, let's just hope that the bubble doesn't burst because this, this crazy Omicron variant it's uh, some people say it's just going to be like the flu nothing to worry about right. heck Dina, i mean if there's nothing to worry about how come all these people are locking down u.s um, several yeah. european countries and then did you hear about that party in norway in oslo oh, no. No? oh my goodness um 120 people went to a christmas party in oslo uh-huh and all of them tested negative because before they went to the party, they had tests. So they go to the party and uh, at the end of the party, when, when they left and they got tested again, 60 of them had COVID. Oh, God. And 13 uh-huh. had Omicron. And as it turns out, one of the 120 uh-huh. that went to the party 
had just visited South Africa to visit the uh, you know the, right. the branch in South Africa. So you've got 60 people suspected of Omicron, but not sure yet, and a possible 100. So I don't know, Dina. That might be a Malaysian bubble. I don't know how strong Malaysian <laughs> bubbles are, but Filipino <laughs> bubbles aren't that strong. I'm just going to remain optimistic, Amina, because after two years being locked down at home, but I get you. I know we have to be very, very careful. I know that in Malaysia, at least on my, uh, you know, my Instagram social media feed, when you mentioned, you know, South Africa, a lot of people are against the, you know, UK, the US's ban from, you know, travelers from South Africa. And people are citing that, you know, this is racism at play. So that's about it that we know, you know, about Omicron. But mm. a lot of friends are also saying, telling us, those who are based in the UK, I think actually Omicron's just like the flu. So there's really nothing to worry about. I hope so. Because um, we, I, I participated in this um, roundtable, this, this small workshop. I think you were there too, virtually, but I didn't see your face. Um, okay. On... On, on violent extremism. Do you remember that? Um, yeah. And this was hosted by G-Surf. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, while, while I was participating, there was just wishing, oh my goodness, if there was no COVID, we'd be having this round table in Geneva. And I love Geneva. I love the chocolate. Oh, I, love, I love eating the raclette. I love going to the, the lake and, and, and watching the, the swans. Yeah. Oh, goodness gracious. I cannot wait for for a COVID season to pass, although it might not just be a season. Well, look, we've got, you know, a great podcast today. Like all the podcasts we've had, you know, they've always been fantastic. And today is no different. Yeah. Um, as I said earlier, we've got two Malaysians on our show, two women that I looked up to, uh, one space in Geneva and one space in Los Angeles, the US. And they do a lot of work on trauma, Prevention of torture and peace building. That's re that's really remarkable. And speaking of uh, torture, this is this is interesting. Do you believe that yeah. a Filipino um, composer, yeah. uh, a, a director, uh, he wrote a rock musical? Uh -huh. <laughs> and guess what it's about torture and the time of martial law so this oh. this young man uh -huh. um, i guess had a, a pre-launch of some sort he showed the okay. um, the rock musical already but he's not ready to uh, fully release it in in theaters because he wants to right. tweak it a little more and um, right. it follows the story of a young man who became a um, revolutionary because of the abuses and the tortures suffered during our martial uh -huh. law, during the time of uh, the, the dictator, the late president Ferdinand Marcos. And I keep wondering, how on earth do you do a rock musical about <laughs> martial law and um, all these abuses and torture? I think we have to ask your guests to tell us if they can imagine such a rock musical. No, I think, you know, Shazira, 
who's also known as G, and Carol will have a lot to say. So let me just do a brief introduction, yeah? Uh, I know Shazira Zawawi from her days in Suhakam, the Malaysian Human Rights Council in Malaysia, who's gone off to Geneva to become the senior advisor uh, at Research and Innovation at the Association for the Prevention of Torture. If you had mentioned that rock star just now, now G, as she's more, you know, as she's known, right? She's also an artist and a cartoonist who creates all these visuals on the prevention of torture. And I think she's been doing a lot of work with victims of torture in the deep south of Thailand. We also have Carol Gomez, right? And I met Carol Gomez, like a lot of things, all over the internet, yeah? <laughs> Through a friend. And she's also been involved in violence against women, immigrant rights, social justice community organizing for over two decades in the US and in Malaysia. She founded and directed the Trafficking Victims Outreach and Services Network, which was subsequently named Matahari. Yeah, just Matahari. Like, yeah, just like G, when I look at you know Carol's Facebook, there's a lot of arts and crafts there, which you know, I, I think she uses for you know for therapy so maybe we should talk to these two women and find out more yeah amina absolutely and i yeah. think they would be the right audience to watch uh, a premiere about this rock musical the title <laughs> oh, by the way uh, g carol dina and to our listeners the title of this film is uh -huh. katips k a t i p s katips the movie Katips is um, slang for uh -huh. Katipunan or Katipunero. Oh. And this was the organization that was um, uh, established by oh. our national hero, Andres uh, Bonifacio, to uh, wage war against the Spaniard, uh, the Spanish colonizers, which, oh. by the way, we won. But the Americans oh. stole our independence. But that's another story. So welcome, oh, right. welcome, welcome to She Talks Peace. Yes. So Sh Carol, um, perhaps you can start the conversation and just tell us, you know, a little bit more about what you do. Okay. Well, thanks so much for having me on your show. And, um, you know, I've admired your work, Dina, for so long. And I'm really pleased to meet you, Amina and G, a fellow um, activist in the globe. It's nice to connect with other Malaysians too. Um, let's see, where do I start? For the last uh, about eight years, I've been working in California uh, with um, asylum seekers from about 70, 80 different countries across the world who mm. seek refuge in the US. Ironically, <laughs> it's not like we're, uh, this country is clean of its own uh, its own instances of uh, yeah. oppression against people. Um, but nevertheless, people are coming to our shores here for safety. And uh, we provide a wide range of support for people to heal, number one, and people to attain some level of justice uh, that's possible and um, immigration status in this country. Um, I am among other things, trained as a clinical, um, psycholo uh, clinical social worker doing uh, forensic psychological evaluations. So I uh, work with survivors of torture to um, document their symptoms and testify in court if there's evidence to be produced um, in their immigration cases. 
um, I don't know how far you want me to go, Dina, at this point before. No, 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 let's, we're going to yeah. be interviewing, grilling you and G, so please. Yeah. Okay. I mean, one of the things we definitely do use is uh, theater and healing arts to, to reach places of expression that are hard to get to when so much violation has happened to the mind and body and spirit. And sometimes words have no ability to describe the pain. So um, using the arts is a way for, a way of release, a way of organizing the trauma that had happened, the way of organizing thoughts and the way of sort of realigning a nervous system of the physiology that has been um, torn asunder or gone awry mm. from from the violence that uh, people have faced. Um, theater is a really powerful tool um, and it can sometimes be a little bit of a buffer from having to talk about something so painful and so raw and so violent in a way that is maybe a little bit more palatable and able for people to hear without turning away or shutting down. So, it, you know, there's, there's, there's many, many ways of expression and, and each has its own. So, um, yeah, I, you know, that's what I'll, I'll start saying. Um, there's much I can talk about in the realm of the work that I do. But um, how, how about you, Jeet? I mean, do you have the same experience, the same observations in the work that you do? Uh, yeah, I, I think I think in, in, in the realm of, of torture prevention, although I think for my work, I'm at the other end of the spectrum. And I think mm. what Carol um, does complement what I'm doing as well, because from, from the torture prevention side, what we are trying to do is to focus on the preventive measures on how to assure that torture will stop occurring or recurring. And, and on that point, we, we don't really do or we don't really address torture on a case-to-case -case basis mm -hmm. or we don't directly work with the torture victims. We just do recently though, because I think, and this is an internal discussion that my organization is having as well, which we always have from time to time, that you can't really work on torture prevention without bringing in the voice um, of the victims. So yeah, we, we, we just recently started to bring the voice of victims more in our work because it has to be central to whatever yeah. measures or policy that you want to recommend on yeah. prevention of torture. And we started this, we kind of pilot this with the former detainees uh, in, in Thailand. And um, and yes, I think even though we, we are working on the other side of, of the spectrum, um, I always recognize um, the importance of offering um, a different way of representing the narrative. Because as Carol said, uh, there is not an issue that you can just simply throw into a conversation and everybody is just comfortable talking about it. Uh, for instance, at the ASEAN level, it took us years to really get torture prevention to be discussed openly by the ASEAN 
uh, Intergovernmental Human Rights Commission, for instance. It takes a long time to get people talking about it. So, so, visual, so um, the use of art, uh, for instance, in my case, comics and cartoons are really powerful tools to offer the narrative. Uh, and I love what Carol said because I always use the word palatable. Um, and also in a way to make the issue more relatable to, to those who read or enjoy the work itself. And if you really want to prevent torture, you have to raise public awareness and shift public opinion about torture as well. And this is where uh, visual narratives or like the rock star uh, show is the very, musical. very crucial. Yeah, rock star musical is very powerful. And in, in the course of my work in the region, because even though I, the research and innovation uh, portfolio, I just get it like, two years ago, but before that, I, I, my, my work really focused in the region itself and Asia Pacific as a whole. And, and in my journey, I, I see a lot of this being used. Music are not just as a tool to heal, to rehabilitate and to help torture victims or survivors to integrate, but I think it's also a very important medium to advocate, to promote, to raise awareness about the, the problems around torture. And this is a very, um, I think this is a very, very cultural. We are always um, drawn to visual storytelling. It's in our DNA as a, as a Southeast Asian. You know what? Um, the, you, uh, Dina, uh, G, and, and Carol, you're in, in many ways very lucky because. Um, you didn't have a time in your in your country's history where the state used torture as a way to subdue uh, citizens. Um, in in the Philippines, oh, we had uh, years, uh, years and years of that happening, especially to Muslim opposition groups in, in Mindanao. That's why you have the Moro National Liberation Front. And for leftist um, leaders, uh, members of the Communist Party, the, the Philippine government actually, I think, was one of the first to ratify the convention, the UN Convention Against Torture and Other Cruel, Inhuman, or Degrading treatment or punishment. I was just wondering, um, the, the three of you, because you're lucky to, to have Malaysia as, as, as your country, how, how would you advise Malaysia, because they're pretty influential in ASEAN, to push you know, leaders in countries like Myanmar not to use or at least to you know lessen or if they can't absolutely eliminate the use of, of torture as a as a me as an, another uh, instrument for for war wow i think okay i'll leave this to carol and g but quite a number of malicious may disagree with you about the fact that <laughs> certain factions of our government do not use torture because honestly, Amina, we do have this, but it's not really talked about. 
that I have not talked about. Uh, except within the activist circles in Malaysia. Ooh. Yeah, but over to the both of you. You know, Carol, would you like to talk about that? Yeah, you know, uh, I think, like you said, there's a lot of unspoken things that occur in Malaysia that don't get coverage by the media or cannot, cannot be covered by the media. Uh, and when it does is when there's a crackdown on freedom of speech and freedom of expression. And thus, uh, a lot of Malaysians have been locked up or detained or uh, held under house arrest or, you know, even disappeared. Um, so I, I honestly don't know if Malaysia has a leg to stand on in terms of advising other countries about their practices because we have to clean up our own. Oh, that's uh, fascinating. Secrets will out. Yeah, secrets are being outed. Um, you know, even people in the in the prison detention system in Malaysia, mm -hmm. there are a lot of unaccounted for deaths and abuse of prisoners. Oh, and wow. There's also, you know, racial bias in that, uh, in, in who is getting the mm -hmm. worst treatment and who is getting killed in prison without any, mm -hmm. with impunity. Um, there, uh, like, you know, a number of NGOs are uncovering this, but what to do about it is, is, is tricky. Immig migrants to the, to our Malaysian country, uh, are treated like slaves and, uh, abused and used by you know, law enforcement and, and government as pawns, um, you know, to sort of keep the underground economy going, but without any rights and without any, any basic, without their basic human rights met. Um, you know, our country has a, has its history. I was born in 1969 during the years of, uh, during the time of racial riots in Malaysia mm -hmm. too. And that is a whole other, um piece of history that is rarely i guess spoken about openly and rarely really talked about in current time i, I don't know what this generation even knows about that or whether it's even probably in very little yeah, yeah. but i'll turn it over to g and audini g you in suhakam so you might you know yeah yeah i think it's a very interesting observation about about torture itself, because torture, torture and ill treatment, it, it, you have it in different spectrums of practices. And from a preventive point of view, you have the ultimate one where people die at the hands of authorities during investigations or mm -hmm. in detentions mm -hmm. because, you know, because they were forced to confess on the crime and therefore they were ill-treated or coercive forces used against them. But then before you even reach to that point, there are other types of ill-human, uh, inhuman and, and ill-treatment um, in, 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 in that sort of environment that actually leads to that. So in, in our region, I think it's, it's interesting as well to see um, that the practices of torture and ill-treatment not only covers um, incidents like death in custody, which is quite worrying in Malaysia. We have it on a yearly basis during the pandemic. I think we have mm -hmm. two, three cases per year. And as Carol rightly point out, there is a, there is a, a systemic um, a racism attached to, to how this happened. Because at the end of the day, 
who get access to justice, you know? Is yeah. it the most powerful or the one in power? Or is it what happened to those who are illiterate, who are poor? And this scenario, I think, happened in all the other countries in the region as well. And in addition to those types of practices, we are also looking at detention conditions, for instance, how it's overcrowded, um, you know, access to basic necessities. And even before you reach to the point of someone dying because of um, being tortured, this, this sort of environment and scenario also contribute to the ill treatment and, and, and uh, inhuman uh, you know, sort of treatment. And, and so from a preventive point of view, you know, before we get to the point of really looking at this really horrible practices of uh, force investigation, um, death in custody. We also have to look at the other types of uh, inhuman treatments, ill treatment that's happening in the detention uh, places as well, because all these are interrelated. Mm. Um, I spoke to some authorities or police officers working in Indonesia, working mm -hmm. in Thailand, just to understand as well from their point of view, um, not to justify what they do, definitely, but mm -hmm. to understand what put them in such a dark place. And some of the arguments that they put forth is that if I, as an officer, have to handle 100% or I'm expected by my superior to complete an investigation of 10 to 20 people per day, Mm -hmm. How can I do it efficiently without using a device or a tool like torture or forced confession? Because yeah. that, that makes me go fast. That makes me uh, please my superior. Uh, and then there's also the sense of brotherhood where they cover up each other's work, you know, because it's about being an institution. So all these elements really interplay into one another. And, um, and I think this is kind of a reflection as well in the region, what's going on when we're talking about torture. You know what, Dina? Um, yes, I I went through uh, the period um, of martial law. I was a young activist, but luckily never got uh, picked up by by the military. But um, I I have really the strongest suspicion that the younger generations, when they think of torture, they think of areas where you have wars, areas where you have the Taliban, areas of armed conflict, and they never associate torture, means of torture, with relatively affluent and affluent societies. And yet I'm listening to you and I'm seeing beyond my little <laughs> concern of torture, under martial law, torture when uh, when you have armed conflict. And I never imagined, Dina, that you had such a thing in, in Malaysia. So I guess it's really crucial what uh, G and Carl are doing to educate the younger generation so that they realize it's not as unusual as, as one would think. You are an artist, Dina. You have poetry. So what do you do for torture? <laughs> or are you torturing us with your poetry? I don't write. I used to write angst poetry in my 20s. When I look back at the rubbish, I wrote, oh my God, I've got to burn all of this. But you know, I think that like all countries in Southeast Asia, or even globally, right? 
I think one, we all live in our own little bubbles and even most of us around the world are quite killer. We are, we've entered the middle class. Yeah. It doesn't mean we have problems. Yep. And it's good that we're having these conversations, Amina, because I think a lot of people look at Malaysia as a country that is that doesn't have any problems, but we do, you mm -hmm. know. I have not had experience of Carol and G, right? But I did volunteer many years ago for halfway homes for underprivileged children. Uh -huh. Even that, after two years, Amina, I actually had to see a therapist because you know, I grew close to the kids. We played and talked poetry. Okay, that yeah. was about you know as much as I did. But um... hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. You, know, you come back as a babysitter and you realize that in that sense, that is a form of abuse of what they're living with, you know, what's happening in the welfare agencies and all. But, you know, I would like to know because, okay, one, we have a lot of young people listening to our podcast. Gee, Carol, one, how did you, what is your advice to that would-be peace builder? How did you enter into this space is one. And two, yes, you have theater. Yes, you have your cartoons. How do both of you actually manage this work? Do you do yoga? Do you see a therapist? How? Because no, this is a very dark space. Yeah. To be in. I agree, Dina. How do you prevent burnout? Yeah, I think it's 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 very important um, self care and taking care of yourself when you are working with such a difficult topic. Um, I've always been open with my mental health uh, situation. Uh, I'm also an advocate for that, to to you know to normalize society, societal acceptance. And so yes, I do have therapies. I go. I go for my therapy every week. It's it's a thing that I would never miss. I think it's very important to have the right kind mm -hmm. of um, framed, you know, mindset when you are dealing with such work, and also not to let it interfere with your private yeah. life. Yeah. And I think it's very important to to make that demarcation, and um, maybe just to respond as well to to what you were saying about young people, I, I so agree with you because I think in, in the region, we have a lot of creative and passionate young people that oh, we yeah. need to tap, to tap in more further. Like, uh, Amina, like I, one of my favorite um, hip hop band is actually from Philippines. Oh, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, because um, it's, it's a group called, uh, it's actually a, a hip hop collective uh, called Sandata. Uh -huh. um, they consist of some local oh, rap really bands. Cool. <laughs> I gotta Google. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and they have a they have a really excellent album called Collateral, 
which is actually a tribute to one of Duterte's um, speech on 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 how it's <laughs> <laughs> a bit dark the the, the origin of the okay. album. But they really it was a it was their a um, protest album to what Duterte uh-huh. is doing in the country. And even though I don't understand, you know, most of what they say, I think all of it. Uh, of course, the album is fully in Filipino and Tagalog. But, you know, you can feel, and I think that's where art and music is, mm. you know, the language. I can feel the anger. I can feel the spirit. And mm. I can also feel their call for change, even if I don't understand what they're saying. And I've been listening to them a lot because I think they, they of course, they really make good music. And, and this is also interesting because I think everywhere from the place of pain, you know, yes, there's, always, yes. there's always hope. Yes, coming out yes, of it. Yes. And I think a lot of young people today is also trying to redefine the pain right. and the experience in their own way. Yeah. I, I know a lot of NGOs in, in Philippines because we are currently working with uh, an NGO in, in, in Manila, Task Force Detainee. Oh, yes, I know them very well. Um, to actually work with local creative practitioners and artists on how to convey messages about torture prevention in a way that is relatable to the younger generation mm-hmm. and also for them to have a sense of ownership of what happened in their past. So that's, that's, that's I think, what really, I think, cultivating the hope in me about the region, our young people and their creativity. That's so good to know. Can you spell the name of the rock band? Because I'm going to Google them and I'm going to find <laughs> them and... And listen to the music for our listeners as well. Is it Sandata? Yes, S-A-N-D-A-T-A. You know what Sandata means? Uh, I don't know. Weapon. <laughs> huh? Weapon. Sandata. Oh, okay. nice. All right. And Carol, what about you? Yeah. How, you know? Um, let's see, which question do I tackle first? Let me tackle the youth one first since that was the last one. But, um... I, I think this younger generation, I feel like I'm such an old person saying, oh, this younger generation. Uh, the younger generation has, in especially in Malaysia, I think has used the social media tools so very well to organize. And unlike like my time <laughs> where we didn't oh, have Oh, you to... sound old. I, I'm I, the only one who has that right to call myself old, Carol. <laughs> the three of you are such youngsters. <laughs> okay, in the age of technology, um, okay, we're, we're, we're kind of, uh, uh, at least I can speak for myself, I, I'm still, you know, I didn't grow up with technology. Um, and it and what I see now in terms of how our young people organize for free and fair elections mm-hmm. and all of that, it's just, it was just uh, massively revolutionary and people are, have access to more information Mm-hmm. Uh, more easily. So uh, educating themselves about what's going on and how to uh, how to live in a socially just world and how to be a responsible citizen in all areas, whether it's environmental activism or uh, anti-racism or whatever it is, or gay rights. Um, I am just really proud of the young people that I encounter. And in awe of how wise they are and how quick people are to create solutions in different ways than I would never have conceptualized because uh, you know technology is just the new way of communicating that uh, and people use it. So 
I, I think there's hope um, with our new, our young generation. I think we have some very, very smart young people in my country uh, that, you know, I, I remember going back home maybe like 10 years ago and uh, talking to my peers' children. They were teenagers at that time. Mm -hmm. And my friend had made a remark about uh, LGBT communities that wasn't exactly very... Um, Politically correct. I don't know whether politically <laughs> correct, but I don't think you necessarily understood what it means to be queer or gay mm. Uh, mm. In, a, in a real sense. And her teenagers were, what, 15, 14, 15? And they were like, Ma, you are so ignorant, you know? And they started <laughs> to school her about LGBT rights and, and the humanity of LGBT people. And I was like... This is so amazing to see young Malaysian teenagers being able to articulate uh, issues that during my time it wasn't we weren't able to talk about it in such clear and precise ways. So I was just like, wow, this is really cool. You know, it's not as if in Malaysia you can really talk about gay rights. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe this was just an average family; they weren't like activists or anything. And I was like, just impressed by the how in solidarity these young girls were um, yeah. with the community that they may or may not identify as being but it was it, it gave me hope i was like wow <laughs> all right people are learning and they have the capacity to learn and change and grow just from uh information not being censored um from their history books or whatever it is they don't need to rely on government curated history books uh, to learn about things. They can mm -hmm. go find out uh, f from their own curiosity and initiative. That's, that's uh, really great to to hear. And I was just thinking, my mother's generation, nobody talked about anybody being gay. That was no-no. In my generation, we accepted that there were lesbians and gays. But only those two. Now my kids talk about the whole alphabet and they had to explain to me what each one meant. Like I would ask, what's binary? What's non-binary? What does the Q stand for? So I understand what you mean. And, and, and it's pretty amazing to see how, how open young people are talking about uh, about yeah. these issues, I don't know about I don't know about, about you, Dina. I'm, I'm pretty glad that I've got tutors at home who, who lecture yes. me about uh, about these yes. things. So there's hope because there are young people who are open. No, in fact, yesterday one of the you know our creative director actually, as they say, what is it? Instead of saying educated, he schooled all of us mm -hmm. about. The gay rights movement. So that was me and after going, huh? <laughs> you know, we're barely able to quote because the other day someone said, you know, on your LinkedIn, you should put she, oblique, her. And I've got to be honest, all of us panic. Okay, what does that mean? You know, because do you put this on your name cards? And now we're mm. getting a lot of business cards with he stroke her, and you're going, it's, he stroke him and you go, okay. But it's good that we're always constantly being educated about this. You know? 
I mean, for G and Carol, you know, what have people that you worked with, the victims of torture, people, you know, victims of conflict, what have they taught you about humanity? I have to say, on my end, I am constantly amazed by the compassion that remains intact with survivors who have suffered so much violence at the hands of government or society mm. or even family. But I think out of that pain and harm that has been done to them, instead of revenge or um, getting even, I see a deeper sensitivity and understanding of communal pain and being able to empathize and sympathize in a deep way. So I have to say universally, uh, the hundreds of people that I have worked with, that strikes me still as, wow, that, that piece of that humanity within them has been strengthened maybe even awakened, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I think maybe strengthened uh, because most of the people, I, I think people have faced what it means to be on the other end and recognize that this is not, this can happen to anyone. And I, I don't know, I, I'm just astounded by that compassion, honestly, that, and that gives me hope because the compassion is so beautiful and so moving I don't know whether I myself would have it in me to to feel that way toward my oppressors but um, there's something there's something special about that and I uh, and those are some of the things that keep me going in this work you know what what keeps me it, it's dark but it's not um, mm. it's it's it, it is dark but the work that is being done whether it's organizing or prevention or direct care or healing work it just you see hope you see light and you see people move from you know despair to finding themselves again you know finding the humanity reconstructing the humanity that was taken away um and and then you see that it's possible it's possible mm. to survive I don't know how people do, but it's it, it, they do. <laughs> the resilience is um, in, in yeah, the human spirit. Mm. Gee, what about you? What have your you know? No, I I I really agree with what Carol said. I think it's amazing to see to see how survivor of torches heal, and and also they are their way of perceiving what 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 they experience as a person at that level mm. it's it's really an experience that can dehumanize them uh, when it happened and to regain back their self to heal to recover and i also managed to speak to some who actually can forgive what the perpetrators did mm -hmm. it's it's something else you know, it also humbled me as a person, like, you know, you deal with your daily life and you feel like this is horrible, this is difficult. And then, you know, when you go to the field or you do your work, you you realize that, you know, you're but a speckle of dust in this whole ecosystem or in this universe, you know. 
And another thing that really uplift me and and made me want to continue doing this is, of course, the people who wants to stop this, the people that Mm. I met along the way, the the peace builders, the human rights defenders Mm -hmm. who really put their life at stake um, for doing this. Um, Because whenever they try to do to document allegations of torture, to advocate for the rights of the torture survivors, they will face reprisals from the government directly. They will be subjected to a lot of uh, intimidation and harassment. But they're the most optimistic people I've met in the field. They keep on going. They, they, They find that that's part and parcel of what they're trying to do. And I'm happy to say that most of them that, that I met are women. There's a lot of women, human rights defenders or peace builders mm-hmm. working in this field and really, you know, at the front lines. You see them as lawyers. You see them in oversight bodies like Ombudsman, National Human Rights Commission. Uh, they are social workers. They are experts like Carol. They are, there are a lot of women in the field. And I think it's very important for us to sort of, I don't know, mobilize this mm-hmm. ongoing to build this hope together. Because these are things that I think, like like Carol, really um, make me, you know, want to keep on doing this every day. I was just, I was just wondering, Dina, um, because with the, with the two-year pan, uh, pandemic and uh, all countries um, shutting down, it seems that violence against women close to torture, has been increasing at the hands of people they're close to, at home. But no one really has a sense of how much of this is going on. Is is this an an area that the two of you uh, also work on? Because I would imagine that covers the entire world, not just the armed areas of armed conflict, but it covers L.A., and it covers Geneva. Carol, I mean, do, do you also work uh, with with them? Yes. Uh, most of, I think it's like 30 years I've been doing um, anti-violence against women work mm. and also from all over the world, including the U.S., uh, obviously. Um, and even in our torture treatment uh, work, we do see a lot of women who have suffered at the hands of uh, family members mm. um, and we, we do support uh, women um, through that journey to safety um, I don't have the numbers of, of how the the prevalence of violence at home has increased during COVID but I imagine it's it is it has been harder for people to leave their home situations and shelters here at least in LA have been have been full and sometimes not receiving new people because of COVID. Um, I think it's easing up mm. a little bit now. Um, mm-hmm. We also have a terrible, terrible, terrible homeless problem in oh, yeah. in in California. I mean, oh, yeah. it, it's astounding. It, it it It's worse than I've ever seen anywhere else in, mm-hmm. in, in the world in some ways or comparable to other countries that are... Uh, struggling economically, but it's a shame. It's a shameful thing that it's happening here. So, uh, just the basic stuff—housing, food, shelter, um, safety of your children—are still those primary issues that prevent people from leaving, 
being able to leave abusive situations um, when the economy economics are so bad um, and it's hard to another another secret that has to be outed right G yes yes indeed I think I think transparency is always the 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 way to go when it comes to exposing what happened behind closed doors and in yeah. private but then it also require um, women the family itself to be able to come to the front and 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 and, and say there's a problem happening at home mm-hmm. and i think we're, we're still struggling with that as well to have more women coming to the front and admitting this problem at home and i just googled <laughs> Mm-hmm. Because I'm also curious how how prevalent is the problem, and I just found an article that says domestic violence sort of increase mm-hmm. uh, between 25 to 35 percent during this time during the pandemic. Wow! So it's quite a lot, and I yeah, think that's a you, lot. The United Nations also have some official statistics around this, mm-hmm. um, and I don't really work on this issue. Um, because I think it also goes back to how domestic violence, whether or not it's being framed as torture. Mm. And I think it's a very interesting discussion and debate even happening at the UN level. Um, I think three or maybe a few years back, uh, the Special Repertoire on Torture and Ill Treatment, the UN Special Repertoire on Torture and Ill Treatment, uh, Juan Mendes, um, he actually talks a bit about uh, gender-based violence in his report to the UN. And so that means there are efforts to reframe domestic violence as a form of torture. I mean, rape, we are clear, it's torture. Yes, yes. And it, it's clear. But domestic violence, because of the the whole, you know, there's an element to it which is not official, not something that happened in public, whereas torture has always been known as right. committed by public officials within a within a official setting of a detention, mm-hmm. for instance. Mm-hmm. So I think more discussion and discourse needs to be done to reframe this problem as, right. as torture as well. Right, right. You know, I'm thinking, Amina, just listening to Carol and G. Oh, when this travel thing is much better. I mean, do you both actually also train peace builders in Southeast Asia or you haven't? I mean do you this is something which i think a lot of our sisters would be very interested in um i have uh, on and off but not in a systemic way um worked with um organizations in japan and uh come to malaysia actually and uh taught at uh, uh, it was a guest teaching with a friend of mine who's a social worker in university utara um would love to be able to sort of have more systemic ways of reaching or collaborating or, you know, cross-pollination um, with uh, Homeland. Um, don't know how to make those opportunities happen. <laughs> uh, for sure. Yeah. Well, Dina can make it happen. Then and Carol, Carol and G can stop by the Philippines before they go to Malaysia. What about you, G? Are you are you doing training this part of the world? Yeah, I do. I we we do um we do a lot of trainings. Um, I mean, before the pandemic start, I I travel to the region five to six times per year to do trainings in Indonesia, in Thailand, in Malaysia, depending on the content and need. 
and also Philippines. We we mm. also work closely with the Commission of the Human Rights of the Philippines. Yes. Uh, from from 2013. Um, and it depends on the nature training that you would like us to do as well. And for instance, in in the training that that APT do uh, does is we always uh, focus on tailoring the training to the needs and context of our participants, because we're really aiming as well to breach the understanding about prevention and different disciplines. And we can also go very technical. And when I say technical, is one of the trainings that we, we do a lot is also monitoring detention places Oh yes. to, to see or to understand how torture has been done in detention uh -huh. places, how to monitor the situation, what to look at, how to draft recommendations and, and advocate it to the authorities and the government. This is also some of the trainings uh, we do a lot uh, for our partners and friends in the region. So yeah, I, I'm I'm happy to to contribute if if I had the opportunity, definitely. Wow. That sounds that sounds really wonderful, Dina. But you know yeah. what? When if you should manage to get G and Carol over it would be really great to get like-minded people who are into arts and who yes. use art as a way, not just for advocacy, but of uh, healing, healing yes. the, the wounds and making making people whole again. So are you going to do it, Dina? Are you going to organize a no. workshop of some we, sorts? We, we actually talked about this before COVID, remember? We wanted to do a creative workshop for the women of Marawi who were affected by the, you know, by the attacks, by the IS attacks. And then COVID happened, right? Yeah. <laughs> so now that COVID is kind of going away. The bubble. I, yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, that because you, based on what you said and our sisters in Manila have said that the issue in Marawi has not been resolved. No. Uh, so it would be fantastic if there is a way we can work with donors, bring you all over for a week or two, where because Amina knows the terrain more than me as you know Marawi and all, but uh, I think um, yeah, that would be fantastic. Look, we've we are already close to uh, the end of our <laughs> our podcast. G's got up for for a minute. She's got to wake her daughter up for school. <laughs> uh, yeah, but very important duty. Yes. Wow, Carol and G, you know, um, I take my hat, you know, off to you because it's something which I personally cannot imagine doing. You know, I would probably if volunteering just ended me up, you know, at a therapist because I did not handle. I take my hat to the both of you. And I really do hope that when this travel bubble happens, we can actually fly you to Marawi and spend a week or two there. That, that's really worth uh, considering. But, um, but anyway, uh, we're, as Dina says, we're nearing the end of our hour. And um, I was just wondering whether you have a message of encouragement, of inspiration for those who are listening to us and uh, who would like to do something about the topic. And by the way, um, more than 14% of those who listen to us are under 17 years of age. 
So you've got a very receptive uh, audience listening to you. So shall we start with G? Wow. I, I think this is the trickiest part of all. <laughs> Not very good at giving messages. Um, I just, I, I just, I think my last message is that um, all of us here, you know, in, in whatever capacity or whoever we are, no matter what age, especially, you know, if you're young, all of us, I think, um, have, have a role to play in this. And, and, and we can do it. It's not a lot of the best things in the world or a lot of the best people I met in the field are really ordinary people with, with a lot of passion and spirit, you know, to change things. And so it means that every one of us, you know, if you really put your heart to it, if you really want to do it and, and to be part of this really, really, I think, beautiful movement of building peace, all of you can be part of it. And I think that the, the, the bigger we are, the more, you know, the more we're together in this, the stronger we can, we can be as well uh, as a momentum. So I would say, you know, let's all of us um, get together, mobilize together. And yeah, and, and I think we can get this. <laughs> it's a very awkward message. But... Thanks, G. <laughs> yeah, I like that message. Um, How about you, Carol? Mine's going to be resonant to what G said. Um, and it also is maybe a response a little bit to the how do you cope and manage with uh, such challenging um, community situations. I think um, my advice to any anybody working as an advocate, an activist, a healer, um, a survivor is find your tribe. Um, mm. You will be able to sustain when you work with other like-minded people so that you can all be strong together in solidarity and unity through thicker thin. Um, doing it alone or considering doing it alone is it, tough. You can, it's, it, but it's tough. I think uh, it'll take time to find your, your, your comrades <laughs> and you need to find your comrades the people that you can rely on trust debrief with create with and that will fill your soul and counteract all of the harm and the toxic stuff that comes at you find your tribe um it, it takes time it'll take maybe years to find those right people um and then once you do it will it will float you to the top and you can achieve anything. So it's possible, do it. That's Find lovely. Yeah. That's a lovely way to end, not just this, this podcast, but also this year. <laughs> because boy, has 2021 been way too interesting for all of us. So thank you, G. Thank you, Carol. Ooh, Amina. Yeah, I mean, just, uh, just thinking about uh, what Carol and G said uh, there's this um, a, a quote from Hannah Arendt and it, it picks up on what you said that you know anybody young old they can do something about it and, and she said the sad truth is that most evil is done by people who never make up their minds when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. To be either good or evil. So, gee, we can't be Switzerland. We can't be Geneva. We have to pick a side. Please don't. <laughs> and, 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 and I hope it's, it's on the, the side of um, helping make a community stronger, not, uh, not divided, taking care of our women, protecting our, our human rights, and um, eventually giving us the space so that we can see each other and have a jolly good time, regardless of race, gender, creed, letter of the alphabet. We are one humanity, right, Dina? One humanity, yes. So I guess this wraps up our podcast for this week. Yeah, Amina? Yep, and this has been heavy, but it's been fun. So my yeah, last, yeah. my oh my last message, Tina. Watch for the rock musical, Katips, okay. the movie. You can probably find it on YouTube, and it will what be released, I think, early 2022. Something to look forward to. Okay, good. You gotta give me the name later. YouTube. <laughs> What's the rock star's name now? Katips, the movie. Capits the movie. Yep. Okay. So this is Amina Rasul from Manila saying thank you for listening to She Talks Peace and see you again very, very soon. So Dina. And, yep. Selamat tinggal everyone. This is Dina from Iman Research, Malaysia. We're going to see you again next week. Thank you, G. Thank you, Carol. Thank Bye, you. G. Bye, Carol. Thank you. See you, everyone. Bye. See you. Bye. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.